This week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Glossily Sports' all-new post-workout dry shampoo, Ready Sweat Glow. Made by Aussie runners for all hair types, especially for your post-long run sweaty hair. Ticking all the boxes, it's natural, non-aerosol, and absorbs sweat. Feel like you need some Ready Sweat Glow in your life? Check it out at glossilysport.com.au and use the code KUDOS20 for 20% off. Hi, I'm Izzy Bardoel and I want you to join me for a limited series on the past, present and future of Australian women's marathoning. The guests are Australia's best marathoners, with each of the seven episodes featuring an in-depth conversation with Aussie running royalty, from Benita Willis to Sinead Diver and more. We unpack their training, the ups and downs of their careers and what makes each of these athletes special. All right, today I have the honour of chatting to Ellie Pashley. Thanks for catching up with me today, Ellie. Ah, No worries, Izzy. Thanks for having me on. So what's been going on lately? Uh, we've both got back from Nagoya a couple of weeks ago where you paced the front group and you've been getting back into your London prep that's coming up in less than a month now. Yeah, yeah. So just uh, full steam ahead into marathon training basically the last couple of months. Um, yeah, went, Nagoya was actually perfect, good opportunity to go over and do like a hard half marathon essentially mm-hmm. um, in the middle of the build-up. So, yeah, that was good. And then got home and I've just been trying to get, yeah, some really big solid long runs in now because it's coming around very quickly, a bit too quickly. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, should be good. Yeah, well, the pace you had to run was 71.30 or thereabouts. So it's um, pretty pretty good going for a half marathon and um, certainly like in the marathon block, legs are tired. And, um, yeah, you, you nailed the job though, look good at doing it. Oh, I was pretty nervous actually before. I wasn't I wasn't sure just because I hadn't done anything that long for a long time. Um yeah, I was I was quite nervous about that pace, but it's funny, yeah, once I once I started, I sort of gained a little bit of confidence in the first 5k and I was like, yeah, I think I can get to I can get to halfway, but yeah, I don't know that I could have gone much further than that. Oh, yeah. Well, you you did the job and I'm glad to hear training's been going well. Um I was just running in the forest this week actually, my first time on the trails in a very long time and I was thinking of you and thinking this is probably the easiest trail that Ellie does in her weekly run and I know that you know you get out amongst um, the trails where you live and your training's a little bit different to um yeah what, what I would typically do yeah yeah I do do a lot of trail running uh it's funny I go in phases with with how hilly I go and at the moment I'm I am finding like with my mileage being higher and just those big big Sundays in my legs I I'm avoiding some of the hills uh, on a lot of my easy days and sort of trying to keep it as flat as possible which isn't particularly (laughs) flat down here but yeah I mean the trails are really nice on your legs like they certainly give you a break from the pounding um, that we get on the roads but yeah the, the hills you sort of you can't do them all the time because when your legs are tired, it can be a bit much. And at the same time, I'm also trying to get get some road running in because I think that's a big thing that I don't do enough of and I need to make sure I'm conditioned for that leading into a marathon. So I've actually been doing more road running than normal. And, and Nagoya was really good for that as well, just sort of beating my legs up a little bit on the concrete, yeah. <laughs> trying to uh, get them ready. Yeah, certainly a um, different like feeling, like really smashing yourself in the concrete. Um Smashing yourself on the hills too on the trails is really good strength building, but yeah, right, it's just not the same as being on the roads. 
So yeah. what is um, a typical kind of uh, week for you in training, I guess, in, in a marathon block like you'd be doing um, around now leading up into a, a big race? Yeah, so generally um, in the past I've done mostly weeks where I just do one big session in the middle of the week and then one on Sunday as part of my long run. This time around it's been a little different. I guess Julian has kind of uh, adjusted his training philosophy slightly to where we we vary it a little bit. So I've actually done a few easy long runs this block. I think partly too he was just a bit worried coming in that I um, perhaps didn't have the base that I normally would going into a marathon block. So he didn't want to just do big heavy Sunday after big heavy Sunday. So some weeks we'll actually do two sessions during the week and then a big, big long run on Sunday, but at a fairly easy pace. And then some weeks we'll do, yeah, that one big midweek session and big Sunday. So it's kind of been a little bit all over the place. My sessions have been on all different days, but yeah, the last two weeks I've done, I've done a big Sunday. And then this week coming, I've got yeah, two workouts, um, a marathon workout Wednesday, a threshold workout Saturday, and then I've got a long run Sunday. Um, so it's, yeah, a, a little bit different to normal, but yeah. I actually much prefer the long run workouts. I find that like running, trying to run easy for, you know, 35 to 40 Ks is just so tedious and it just feels like you're out there for six hours. So, um, yeah, I much prefer doing a workout within my long run. Yeah, it would break it up, I'm sure. I haven't done anything like that, but I I know the feeling of being out there for yeah, two and a half hours. It's just a bit a bit um boring after a yeah. while. So Definitely. yeah, I guess we'll get into this a bit later, but you had Tiggy, um, your first child, uh, eight months ago, maybe coming up to nine now. Yeah, nine, nine months, months ago now. Yeah. Yep. So um this last period, as you've said, like you've made adjustments, you coach Julian's made adjustments. It's a different um kind of entry to the marathon for you going into your first marathon um, post baby so yeah I'm sure we'll chat about that a bit more but um yeah it's so exciting to see you getting back um you know probably quicker than you might have expected into your top running yeah thanks Izzy yeah it's I wasn't sure how long it was going to take and and I I thought them that to do a marathon I might have to sort of give it at least 12 months and I I didn't really want to make that decision until I'd got back into training and sort of you know had a bit of time to see how I was coping with it and at the start of this year I sort of started to feel like I was coping okay with a little bit more mileage and I was really enjoying getting back into racing so I sort of tentatively made the decision to try and get into a marathon uh March April I I felt like March was a bit too early I sort of wanted as much time uh, as I could have, but I still wanted to do one in the first half of the year. Like I think it's it's sort of important for me always to have a big goal race there. I think I need that for motivation for training. Um, and so I was lucky to get into into London sort of fairly late, I guess. And yeah, it's I mean it's been different, but I've been I've been able to get my mileage back up to what I was doing pre Tiggy, sort of only just in this last month. Um, and, what, and what, yeah, what, so what mileage is that? Uh, so I've got back up to 160 Ks on my big weeks. Yeah, nice. So we, the way that we sort of structure it is we tend to, um, you know, have a few big weeks in a row and then we bring it down a little bit. But, yeah, that's sort of the most that I've ever really done anyway. And um, I wasn't sure how that was going to go with, you know, a baby and feeding and sleep and all those things. But it's actually it's actually been manageable. Um, so, yeah, we'll <laughs> touch wood if I can stay uninjured. <laughs> 
head for the next four weeks. Um, I should have, get a few, a few 160k weeks in there. And, uh, yeah, like it's, I mean, the marathon's unknown and I don't know if I'm, I've rushed it a little bit. I don't know that I'm going to be fully prepared. Uh, but you know, it's a good building block into the second half of the year. And, uh, yeah, I, I needed it for motivation and I'm, I'm actually really excited. Nagoya got me really excited to get back out on the roads racing a marathon. And I mean, watching, like I've been watching you guys for the last, 18 months while I've been on the sidelines and it's been yeah pretty inspiring inspiring to see what everyone's been doing so yeah I'm excited to be a part of it again yeah definitely I think that um that should give you a lot of confidence going into it and I think from everyone you know I've spoken to about the marathon and and now my my small experience from it um you know you never really feel fully prepared and that's probably a good thing um you don't want to be going into it you know overdone so a little bit of unknown and, and excitement and and willingness to just open yourself up to the challenge is a good thing yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's that is that mindset, isn't it? You always think, "Oh, have I done enough?" But you're right; it's better to be feeling like that rather than being cooked four weeks out and yeah, not being able to sort of recover things in time. Yeah, definitely. So, among that um, that training week, do you do any cross training or strength in there? Or is it all um, running? Yeah, so I do. I don't do cross training. I was early on um, when I was first getting back into running after Tiggy. I was doing some bike. Um, so like I just have a spin bike here and an e-bike, which is not, <laughs> I don't know if that counts as cross training, yeah. <laughs> but I ride a fair bit, um, sort of out the back of where I live as well on the trails. Uh, um, but I I'm was sure doing it's pretty challenging. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Still pretty hilly. <laughs> you can sort of turn the e-bike down to eco mode and get yeah. your heart rate up ever <laughs> so slightly. Um, but yeah, I, I was doing that at the start. And then as my, that was sort of something that I thought if I can't handle mileage, I'll add a bit of that in, but I've actually, yeah, because I've been able to get mileage sort of back up once I got up over sort of a hundred Ks a week, I basically just ran Mm -hmm. instead. And then strength stuff. Um, I was very diligent with early on. I think I've been a little bit slack with it lately. I've been doing it once a week. But I, like I was doing quite a bit in the gym and I find it just easier to do at home just from a time perspective. Um, And I think just, again, now that I'm in in the marathon block, I'm struggling a bit with energy to do two to three gym sessions a week. So, yeah, it's sort of fallen by the wayside a little bit. But in my head, the plan is to always try and get it done twice a week. Realistically, it's probably more like once a week that I actually get there. Yeah, staying in touch a, a little bit is good and I think it's just a common thing that it definitely falls off when you're tired and you've got a lot of things when you play marathon training but also having a baby and, you know, having a, a limited time amount to disperse across to your training is another thing too. Yeah, that, that's true. It's just that, yeah. And it, it, even with the gym, getting to the gym, doing the session and then getting home, it's, yeah, it's a fairly big chunk of time. The gym's about half an hour away from where I live. So, yeah, yeah so- I that's I need tough. to prioritise it, but yeah, uh, yeah. Home, <laughs> home sessions are yeah, they're hopefully enough to get me. You through can this. do it. You can do a lot from home. I think. Um, yeah. Do you have any favourite sessions of the week or, or least favourite sessions? I think you said you know you do like the, the Sunday long run. Um, I kind of yeah. get the I get the picture. You don't love speed as much. Am I am I making <laughs> assumptions here? Uh, that's a fair assumption. <laughs> <to make. laughs> that's yeah. If anyone's seen me try and kick down in a race, they'll uh, see that speed <laughs> is not my forte. Um, yeah, I hate it. I hate anaerobic stuff. So anything far anything faster than ten k pace, um, I'm not good at it. Like <laughs> I really actually can't run that much faster than my ten k pace, and I just don't enjoy it at all. 
So I like I had to do a, a fair bit of it coming back because I just, yeah, I needed yeah. to sort of work on that system obviously, but um, I much prefer the long marathon session. So give me like, yeah, three by 5K or intervals at the end of a long run. Or yesterday I actually did a steady long run where like I had 28K in the middle of my long run that I had to do at a steady pace. And I, I just love all that rhythm mm-hmm. stuff. I'm so much more comfortable sort of doing that high-end aerobic stuff versus, yeah, fast, short reps, just, yeah. I don't like them and I'm not good at them You're at true, all. true marathoner. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> so I didn't actually realise until uh, we were chatting in Nagoya, it shows that, you know, I do know you, but, you know, not as well as um, as I could. Um, from Albury. So tell us yeah. about, you know, your, your start um, in life in Albury and, and how kind of sport was a big part of your life growing up but um you know that was netball and other team sports and um casual running but really you didn't start to take your running uh, seriously until much later on in life so yeah tell us a bit about your childhood growing up in Albury yeah so um like Albury's a very sporty town I would say um but big football netball town basketball hockey all of those yeah team sports are quite popular there so um through all through school, basically, I was playing. I did little laughs uh, as a kid, and then, but I was also playing netball at the same time. So Saturdays, I'd be over at the netball stadium, which was actually not very far from the track. Then I'd come and do a few events at little laughs, and I'd sometimes go back and play another <laughs> game of netball. And then, um, in through my teenage years, I started playing like senior netball with the football netball league up there, the Ovens and Murray League. And yeah, I mean, running, I always sort of did on the side, like I ran, I always did cross country at school and loved it. Um, And through my teenage years, I sort of did a few fun runs and things and then went to uni, I was pretty slack at uni at the start. I still was playing netball and touch footy and water polo and a few few other random sports. Uh, through that period and then sort of towards the end of uni I started getting a little bit more into my running so um there were a group up there called Vogel's Vixens who were they all did like ultra marathon trail running stuff and I used to go and jump in with them sometimes for their afternoon sessions I never ran with them in the mornings because they used to run way too early for a uni student (laughs) um but yeah that was sort of got me involved a little bit in the local running community and I did local fun runs and things like that and then when I moved, yeah, so I, I was fairly into it, I would say, in my early 20s, um, but I sort of just kept going in and out. So I moved down to Geelong and started working at a running store, uh, which is where I met Jules. And, yeah, again, I was still in my early 20s. I was doing a little bit of travel and I was still playing netball as well. So I started playing for Anglesey down here in the football netball comp and then it wasn't until yeah I can't remember exactly when like I I definitely started to enjoy my running more and more as I got older and started to enjoy the training side of it and then became a bit more curious about the marathon so it wasn't until I decided to stop playing netball that I really started running you know probably closer to every day rather than a few times a week and started actually doing training sessions and stuff with the the group down here um and, yeah, eventually started doing long runs, which mm-hmm. at the start I absolutely hated. So it's quite funny that I love them now. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a very gradual, like, yeah, I just gradually I think built up year, year on year and it sort of seems like, yeah, I all of a sudden took it very seriously. But I'd say that I was 
edging more serious probably over a five or six year period um and it wasn't until I decided to do a marathon that I was like all right I'm so petrified of this event that if I'm gonna do this like I'd done a couple of half marathons but I just hadn't really trained properly for them but the marathon I was yeah quite fearful of so it's like if I'm gonna do this I actually have to do it properly and I need to follow a program and do long runs and be prepared for it so I think that was probably the turning point as far as my dedication to training goes yeah I find that really interesting though because you know a lot of people I've spoken to recently um you know through this podcast too like have had somewhat of a late entry into like elite sport um you know uh playing other sports too when they're younger and maybe running but not taking it super seriously not you know winning national titles or anything when they're juniors um and then you know you kind of find your love for for the for running grows over time and and you're not burnt out. So it, it seems like a very healthy way to approach it, like doing a lot of sports and and you know finding what you enjoy most. And um, yeah, it sounds like you had a, a really nice background in sport growing up. Yeah, yeah, I think it I think it does, and I think playing other sports as well helps a little bit with your um, resilience from an injury perspective too. Mm-hmm. Like you're just that probably that little bit stronger. You haven't just been. Um, you know, doing the exact same movement for 20 years straight. Um, so, yeah, it, it's true. A lot of the marathoners at the moment have sort of had a slightly different history, but then we've also got people like Eloise and yourself yeah. who, you know, really good juniors as I well. I wasn't very good as a junior. <laughs> really? No. Yeah. I was, oh, I was there. Good enough to I was get like, to college. I was filling spots on teams, like state teams. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, you were still, yeah, you yeah, were still yeah. in those teams. Yeah. I wasn't a very good junior either. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's funny, it's interesting. And then I think I think, yeah, with the marathon, you see a lot of that, probably because it it does require so much uh so much mileage. If you were even slightly burnt out from athletics, it would be pretty hard to then continue on to the marathon. Yeah. I was saying off air before, like when I was looking at um, you know, your kind of background and progression into running, like it does kind of look like a really rapid progression. Um, you know, suddenly you burst out and then you're your top eight all-time Australian, the 10K half marathon and marathon, um, really over a short span of years um, and then qualifying for your first Olympics at, at age 30. But, you know, there was some background in there. I, I noted that um, when you were still in Albury um, studying physio, you made the Australian team for the World Student Cross Country Championships. So, you know, you were, <laughs> you were getting around. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was probably... Uh, I'd say that was lucky yeah. to make that. I think I just applied for it thinking, oh, I'll just see what happens. And I had started running a little bit more then, but I did a terrible preparation to that. I think I was traveling around Nepal, like hiking, but I couldn't yeah. even, I couldn't run because we were at such high altitude. Yeah. So I went into that like so ridiculously unfit. Um, and I think, yeah, that probably made me realize too, you, you can't just half-ass yeah, running if you want to actually have a crack. And it, yeah, I needed a little bit as I got a bit older and there was a bit of time pressure like almost you know time's running out if you do want to give running a good crack um but yeah you you really have to put in you can't just coast along and hope to succeed yeah I also noted like back in 2010 you did you did do Zatopec and ran 3556 um yeah Melbourne half in 2012 and you were second in 119 um and there's some like I guess as you said you know you're doing fun runs and you're kind of dabbling in it but it wasn't until 2015 would you say um, getting ready for your first marathon with Julian Spence, you got up to 100 k's a week, um, and then subsequently did your first marathon at Melbourne in 2016, where you ran 2:46 and came fourth. How was that experience? 
Yeah, I, I loved that. Like I, I think, like I said earlier, I was so scared of the marathon and um, I just loved it so much more than I thought I would. I think I had actually, yeah, done the training block. I'd done a lot more mileage than I'd done in the past and the race itself, like it was a, it was quite a bad um, weather day that day. It was really windy, but because I didn't have any pressure and no expectation, uh, I probably went out fairly conservatively. So I was able to enjoy the second half. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it was so much fun. The sense of achievement that I got coming into the G was like nothing I'd ever had in, in a race before. So I think, yeah, that was a real, uh, like I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed my first marathon and then that was basically after that all I wanted to do was just keep running marathons as soon as I possibly could. So yeah, you, yeah. Got, you, got, you got the marathon bug. Got the bug, yeah. Um, the following year you did the Gold Coast half um, and got your half time down to 73.47. So you were certainly making making good progress and later that year doing Berlin Marathon, um, slicing off over 10 minutes to run 235.55. Um, how was Berlin? That's pretty incredible to do for your second marathon. Yeah, Berlin was fun. And so we had a group of us um, that who we trained with down here, like I guess it's now sort of part of our Surf Coast Track Club group, and we all got in via the ballot to Berlin. So planned a trip um, with Julian, my coach, and Bree, his wife, and then Joe came over with us as well and a few of our other friends. And, yeah, that, I mean, that was awesome. Like it was Berlin's just crazy. It was I think Kipchoge ran that year. Um, it's just such a fast, flat course. And yeah. And again, I'd, I'd put in another year by then of pretty decent training, got my mileage up a little bit higher. Um, was hoping to run sub 240. I think that was my goal going into it. So yeah, I was, I was really happy with the, the 235. And again, it just sort of made me hungrier to go again and see if I could run a little bit faster. As soon as, as soon as I got, Within five minutes of two thirty, all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, maybe one day I could, I could try and give that a shake." So, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I'm sure that would have been um, a pretty cool experience and open your eyes to what could be possible in the future. And, and subsequently, 2018 probably was. It looks like a breakout year to me. Um, and then coming into maybe your best year um, the following year. Um, but in 2018, you won the Launceston 10 in 32:04. You did world half marathon champs. You ran a PV 71.43. Then you lowered that to 70.57 at Gold Coast in July and all the way down to 69.20 um, later that year in Japan in December. Um, and among that, you also ran the Cape Town Marathon, um, running 231.52, so edging even closer to that sub-230. Big year. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I don't think of 2018 really as a, a breakthrough year, but you're probably right there. I actually came second in Launceston. Sinead oh, beat me. Yeah, oh. she was a few seconds up the road. Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got that wrong. Um, but otherwise, you're all right. So, yeah, yeah I think I uh, um, qualified for World Half maybe off my Gold Coast time from the year before. And, and that, yeah, again, that was just a really fun experience. So it was just Sinead and I in the team that year and ran a big PB, basically just going in blind. I sort of, I think I had had a bit of a new approach to racing then so the Gold Coast half the year before I my watch wasn't working or it went flat just before we started or something and so I was much less pace focused and just sort of went for it and I think that was like a four minute PB or something when I ran 73 so that sort of opened my eyes to maybe I've just got to yeah take it like I think sometimes I'm a little bit too conservative and 
sensible with the way I race and I needed I needed to sort of learn to just have a real crack and see what happened and yeah so I tried to do the same thing again in Valencia at the world half champs um and ended up coming top 25 which that at that time was put me uh it sort of made me a gold label athlete I don't know if they still really do it like this but that was where then the Cape Town marathon invitation came from so they needed a certain number of gold label athletes to run so then they invited me to come and race there um I was wondering was, I was like Cape Town I wonder why Cape Town <laughs> yeah and I, like part of me I was like oh cool we can go to South Africa for a little holiday as well yeah. so it was it was a really cool experience um and same thing again there I was like I'm just going to go with the lead pack here and see what happens um so yeah that was sort of my first time I guess racing in the lead pack of a major marathon um I think I ended up coming sixth or something so yeah. I sort of faded a bit towards the end that was fairly warm and hilly um and a fairly tough race I'd say but yeah I ran 231 and then after that I was like okay I think yeah I think I can break 230 now if I get a nice flat cold marathon but um that yeah that was a fun year of just sort of going for it and seeing seeing what happened yeah and um the following year in March you ran the Nagoya marathon um, and any PBs from this race, 226.21. So, like, that was a big PB. I didn't realise that at the time, how many minutes you take it off, um, you know, to run that race. And I know you had a bathroom stop after 30K, so maybe there's 40 seconds there um, in that race that, you know, it could have been a 225 as well. Oh, yeah, I don't know about that. I think uh, the bathroom stop gave was me necessary. a little breather. <laughs> yeah, gave <laughs> me a little break and then I could sort of pick up the pace again. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that was probably it sort of looked like a bigger jump than it was. I think Cape Town, I, I don't I didn't actually feel like I was a whole lot fitter than I had been at Cape Town. I think it was, yeah, it was more, a hard race. Yeah, I think it was just like you know what Nagoy is like. It's well, not it wasn't so cold this year for you guys. Usually <laughs> <It's> hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually it's cold. Yeah. Um flat, fast as a pace group. The slowest pace group the year I did it was 225. And I remember oh, wow. thinking like that's actually way too fast, but otherwise I'm going to be running by myself. And Sinead was pacing the 225 group. So I ended up actually going out with them. And I knew that it was a bit quick, but I, I was like, I'll just go with it for a little bit and then sort of make decisions as I go. Mm-hmm. Um so that, yeah, I think that actually dragged me through to a much faster time than I originally thought. I, I wanted to break 2.30, but I didn't, I certainly didn't think I was going to um, go that far under 2.30. So yeah, that was, that was cool. And the the bathroom break sort of messed with my head a little bit and I thought I'd totally stuff my race, but um, I just tried to sort of switch off. I think I turned my watch off after that so that I didn't know what pace I was running and I just ran as hard as I could to the finish. And I was pretty surprised when I saw I think I saw the time just as you turn when you're going into the dome and I realised, yeah. oh, it's actually, I think I thought oh, I'm going to, you know, I've lost it. I'm going to go over 2.30 here now. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I'd obviously picked it up a little bit more in the last 10K or so than I realised and, yeah, I was very, very happy with that time, which that happened to just, I think the Olympic qualifying period had just started. So, um, yeah, that gave me the qualifying time for Tokyo. So I was mm-hmm. pretty pretty pumped. And so apart from the bathroom break, did everything else kind of go perfectly for that race to get that result? Yeah, everything. I mean, we had like a really good pace pace pack. Um, I th- I My stomach was a bit upset, obviously, but it, it felt, I actually felt fine for the first probably 20 to 25K. And then I started having some issues after that where I couldn't take on any more fuel. 
Um, and then, yeah, I think aside from that, though, everything was good. We had really good conditions and, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's so rare that, as as you know, in the marathon, it's so rare that you get a day that where everything is absolutely perfect. Like I don't actually think I've had that yet in a marathon, yeah. but um, I, I, that's where it's really tricky. You almost have to keep your cool when things start to unravel. It doesn't necessarily mean that your whole race is lost lost and you have to if you can just yeah keep calm and and try and which it, basically I think I, that was probably something that I'm quite proud of in that Nagoya race like things <laughs> had started to unravel and I was able to just you know use strategies like turning my watch off and and just picking off people in front of me as I went so there was a lot of carnage from the earlier packs and I just tried to use that as like right oh now I'm going to get this person then I'm going to try and get this person I'm just going to run as hard as I can to the finish I don't know what time I'm going to run but I've come all the way here um yeah and then I was able to surprise myself so that can be the really hard thing when you're fatigued in a marathon and things start going wrong it's hard to sort of keep a calm head I guess at that point so yeah and readjust from maybe your a goal to to a b goal or c goal yeah exactly (laughs) going down and down yeah so yeah but hopefully one day I'll get a race where absolutely nothing goes wrong we'll see yeah it seems like you know you you might get that what one or two times in your career where it just kind of everything lines up but yeah the marathon is about just managing the um the the uncontrollables and and trying to um trying to do your best with, with what you're given on the day yeah exactly uh, you switched focus back to the track uh, later that year, well, actually only a couple months later, to run um, the Peyton Jordan 10K where you ran 31.43 to get a 10K qualifier for the World Champs in Doha that year. Um, yeah, how how was that changing, I guess, from the marathon block going pretty quickly into uh, a 10K training period? Yeah, that was that was a decision. So because the World Champs was in Doha that year, I didn't really want to run the marathon because it was going to be so hot it was within the Olympic qualifying period where um, I was just a bit worried about what that might do to me running a marathon mm-hmm. in that heat and how long it would take to recover from. So I decided to have a crack at the 10K and it was a pretty short turnaround. I ended up coming home from Japan for a couple of weeks and then I went to Flagstaff um, with Susan and Camille. And so it was actually quite good I think when I came into Flagstaff I was sort of just still recovering from the marathon just getting back into training I didn't feel particularly fit but yeah I had a month of very hard training with them um trying to hang on to the back (laughs) of some track girls (laughs) you can imagine in the shorter reps was not pretty um and yeah but that was like such a fun month that we had training together there and I think I was actually able to yeah, probably get almost fitter than I'd ever been by the end of that block leading into Peyton Jordan and Peyton Jordan itself just ended up being like a perfect race where there were there was a train of about 20 of us sort of all going for that. Uh, I think it was 31.50 was the qualifying time at the time, so a fair bit has changed in the last couple of years. <laughs> Crazy. Um, oh, yeah, mad. So, yeah, we just got dragged through to, yeah, I ran a, a pretty big PB. I can't remember how much of it pb but i'd definitely never gone under 32 before um and then the other two ran even faster i think susan ran about 31 20 and camille 31 30 so yeah that was that was pretty exciting uh getting the 10k time for doha um and then yeah that was a little bit of a tricky one too because then we had new york marathon 
was I can't remember how many weeks after maybe five weeks after or so so it was trying to then do a totally different block where we were essentially training for the 10k in the heat and then a cold marathon five weeks later and trying to sort of almost have two peaks within that yeah three yeah that that is tricky it's a different way of doing it for sure yeah. It seems like a lot of people can perform really well at the shorter stuff, um, you know, six to eight weeks after a marathon. Like I've definitely seen that before, kind of recover um, enough from the marathon and then you just kind of, I don't know, absorb that training block that you've put in and, and the marathon itself and you can kind of, um, yeah, sharpen up and, and yeah, run really well. So I'm not surprised you ran a, a 10K PB after such a, a great marathon too. Yeah, it's probably it was probably just long enough. Like I find... It takes me a little while after a marathon to come back and I wouldn't say that I normally back up particularly well, but, yeah, I think you're probably right, that big aerobic base and then if you just do a little bit of, yeah, sharpening up. If, if you recover it enough, stuff. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. and then the other, like the 10K with the marathon after was kind of almost going the opposite way, trying to do a little bit of both before the 10K, which, yeah, that ended up like I ran a big, 10k pb off what i would say was predominantly marathon training as Mm -hmm. well um and then just yeah the last five weeks just trying to top up on all the big long sessions yeah so 31 18 uh you were 13th which is a really high place to finish at a world champs um doha was uh the kind of enclosed almost stadium um air conditioned so i think it was a good choice to pick that over the over the hot marathon on the roads um yeah how was experience running in in such a fast race and and walking away with um yeah with such a big pb yeah it was it was really fun actually doha it was i mean the crowd it wasn't a huge crowd um the air conditioning in the stadium was very nice <laughs> we didn't go into it with any sort of uh plans to try and run the olympic qualifier because so the olympic qualifier was 31 25 i still thought it was going to be too hot because even like yeah, they, they had the aircon on the first night that we went there, though it still sort of felt like it was about mid-20s in the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was basically just a race, and my race plan going into it was just hang on for as long as I can because these girls are, you know, obviously we had like Safan Hassan and Gide in the race. Um, I've just got to hang on, and every time a gap forms in front of me, I have to try and close it and just yes yeah, stick there for as long as I can and the the two packs ended up splitting up um and then we were sort of on the back of the pack with the American girls and a couple of the Ugandans and I was able to sort of hang on to that until maybe three or four laps to go when they started kicking down and my uh lack of speed <laughs> didn't enable me to do that but yeah I was pretty shocked I think it was about 8k I saw the clock and I tried to do a bit of maths in my head to work out what sort of pace we were on roughly. And I realized that we were actually pretty much bang on the Olympic qualifying pace and I couldn't believe it. So then it was just like, yeah, basically running as hard as I could home to try and try and stay under it if I could. So yeah, that was, that was really fun. And we all finished quite close together. Like the, we'd been in St. Moritz training together, Sinead and Camille and Susan and I. So that was a pretty fun, fun night to all. Everybody like had a really good run and then, yeah, we got to hang out together after and celebrate. Yeah, no, it was cool to see the four of you run so well and, and yeah, finishing really high up in that field. And, yeah, it's good when your whole kind of team has a good day. It's definitely good vibes all around. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was exciting. Just a few weeks before that, actually a month before that, you ran um, the Sunshine Coast Half Marathon where you ran your PB 69-14. 
um, and was third place behind Lisa and Sinead. It's a pretty amazing half marathon um, to have on Australian soil, the three of you running. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And that was the year they um, they put a $25,000 prize on the line if we could break 69. Mm-hmm. And so there was, I think there was a, probably a little bit of build up leading into it because we'd, we hadn't raced each other, like Sinead and I had raced each other a lot. We hadn't raced Lisa too much, except we had run Gold Coast, I think maybe the week, uh, the month before the three of us and all finished quite close there too. So it was, yeah, that was, that was pretty fun, uh, race. We had Collis pacing us and yeah, it, it was basically just going as hard as we could for as long as we could. And in the end, Lisa actually, she did break 69, um, so she took home a nice, uh, nice prize packet, and then Sinead, and then I was third. But um, yeah, they they pulled me through to a PB, so I was happy with that because I wouldn't say it's like a particularly fast course, um, just because you go over the Alexandra headland there. So I think it was just the nature of the race and the big build up to it mm-hmm. that, yeah, it, yeah, it was it was good fun. Yeah, it's cool to have such strong competition um, in one race, and yeah, having like a pace or two and. And the hype around it certainly helps. But um, that still stands as your half marathon PB. I'm sure you, you'd like to look at lowering that sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, I would love to have another crack at, at the half. Um, hopefully once I get London over and done with and recover, um, I'll, I might try and go to Gold Coast or, yeah, see what other half opportunities sort of open up later in the year. But, yeah, I, I feel like I've got a little bit more in me in the half. Um, so I would love to lower that time a little bit but yeah definitely. Yeah, I mean definitely. it's again it's hard to it's hard to do and, and still that pace at the moment um <laughs> I think I'm I'm not I'm not quite back to running 69 and a half marathons yet but maybe another six months or so we'll see I don't I'm know going. I think you're in pretty good nick <laughs> so 20, 2019 um New York marathon uh you did finish in 227.07 so a really strong run on um a pretty challenging and hilly course uh not too far off your PB from Nagoya earlier that year this was the race that you went the wrong way with Sinead. Yeah. <laughs> Sinead and I did chat about this um, on, on her episode. <laughs> it was pretty, yeah. pretty uh, funny to laugh about now, but I'm sure at the time, yeah, it was a bit, a bit, of, <laughs> a bit frightening. Yeah, it was, it was even kind of funny at the time. Like, so I'd, first of all, I don't know why we were leading the race. Um, we went out way too fast up over the first bridge. And I think that was maybe at about, 5Ks or so, we were still right at the front of the pack. And then I think it was a case of in Australia, you know how you go to the left? Yeah. And so we went left, everybody else went right. And by the time the marshal realised that we'd gone down the wrong way, we'd already gone past her. And then we had to, yeah, try and get back under the Jump rope. And the best bit was actually when we tried to get back under the rope and Sinead got tangled in the rope and then I ran straight into her. So it was like we just looked at each other after and we were like, what the hell just happened? Um, but that was, yeah, that was quite funny. And then after that I was like, I need to just sit myself at the back of this pack. Like I have no business being at the front anyway. Yeah. And then Sinead went straight back up to the front. So um, <laughs> she wasn't one bit <laughs> not phased. disturbed by it. Yeah, what had just um, happened. But, yeah, that was quite funny. Yeah, it was funny. There's a good video of it actually that we still have. Oh, one for the memories. Yeah. Um, the following year, like, I guess, COVID here, and I think, were you pacing Nagoya um, just before kind of the COVID, like, took over the world? Yeah, I was, yep. So we'd been to um, Nagoya early March 
And then I think it was after the following weekend, so it was only, yeah, one week later basically that we went into lockdown here. Um, and already in Japan there was a lot of like restrictions and things in place, but basically in Australia it had still been life as normal until mm. very soon after that. Yeah, so a challenging year, but I guess having the Olympic qualifying time in both the 10 and, and the marathon, you probably um, were just, you know, waiting it out to see what happened and obviously the Olympics were postponed a year and that just gave a little bit more time uh, to, to, to get ready for it. Yeah, I did. I found it hard initially. I think having, because I'd run the time in the marathon quite early in the qualifying period, I felt like it had been a longish wait already. And I think just, you know, what the mindset's like leading into an Olympics, you know, you just, you think about it every day. Um, and I'd been thinking about it every day for such a long time. Yeah. And it was so close, really, by the time it got postponed, it was only four or five months away. So I did find that a little bit challenging when, mm. when that all happened initially, just resetting and going, okay. So this is not happening in four months like we thought it was and hopefully it's going to happen next year but we don't actually, actually know if it, that's going to happen. So it was, yeah, it was a bit um, a bit disappointing and but, yeah, I mean once I once I got past that it was like, right, oh, I just have to try and do whatever I can to to keep my spot because, yeah, it's a bit further down the track now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a, a, long way, a long way and. Also, just having to do like a marathon block is a bit different than just being like in in track mode or, um, yeah, getting ready for a track race. It kind of takes a little bit more planning, I guess, and and progression and time. Yeah, and I certainly didn't feel safe in my spot. Like, um, I did have the ten k and the marathon time, but like in the marathon, I think I was sitting third, and the ten k, like you know, we had you, yourself, Rose, Jen, like all these girls that had you know more than the potential to to knock me out of the 10k as well so I wasn't um thinking like oh that's fine I'll still get to go to the Olympics no matter what yeah. I was very much like I, I any opportunity I get to race I have to take it because yeah we just don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 months yeah definitely uh later that year you did the London Marathon was that the the circuit course the 2k loops yeah yeah so did you have an injury just before that yeah, I had a foot injury. So I think um, during COVID, like because there were no races, I probably yeah. just went a bit, bit, <laughs> a bit rogue with training. I just wasn't – I'd gone from putting so much emphasis on like recovery and doing everything right to then being like, oh, the Olympics is – bit blasé, yeah. Yeah, a bit blasé. And probably with no races, I was racing people in training as well. Yeah. Like we, ha yeah. we have a group of guys and um, myself and one of our friends in particular, I felt like we were doing all these sessions and just hammering, racing each other every week. Um, and probably not as cautious. I started getting a sore foot and then it was like, ah, it'll be fine. Whereas, you know, if it had been leading into the Olympics, I think I would have actually mm -hmm. done something about it a lot sooner. Um, so I ended up with like a, I had a stress reaction in my fourth metatarsal and then I had bursitis and a Morton's neuroma sort of mm -hmm. down the bottom of my foot and my foot was all swollen in a different area so they weren't sure whether it was the stress reaction causing the problem or whether it was actually the other thing um but it took yeah so I think it took about six weeks to to settle down and then that was uh that was maybe three months or so out from London so then by the time I started running again and yeah, I did a pretty short block of 
I just I couldn't really tolerate a heap of running on the road because my the bursitis in my foot was still playing up a bit. So um, I went into it a bit underdone, but I think I was again of that mindset. Like I'm, I don't know when I'm going to get to race again. I'll just go and see what happens. And training had been going okay, but yeah, I just I don't get fit quickly, and I just didn't have enough um, behind me, and I had a pretty shocking run. <laughs> I think I ran 231 or something. 231, um, 31. Yeah. yeah. And Which I is still it. like, it's still like, it's not, it's not terrible, but from what you wanted and, and where you're at, just, yeah, I understand it's not, not a good day. Yeah. It was just sort of a bit of a pointless run. Like it didn't mm-hmm. um, achieve much for me. And then I had to come home and do quarantine. quarantine. And yeah, it, I mean, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have gone, but at the same time, I was like, I'll just go and see what happens. Maybe I'm fitter than I think. You know how sometimes it's hard to tell exactly where you're at um I thought maybe yeah. I, I could surprise myself but uh yeah it turns out I could <laughs> yeah coming <laughs> off an injury coming off an injury can be hard like you don't yeah you don't exactly know where you're at and you can hope for the best and but you know like at that point in time like you didn't know if COVID was going to last for six months a year three years five years like when was the next chance to go and race overseas so um you know yeah. looking, looking back at it I'm sure the two-week quarantine was, was frustrating um especially after you know not a great result for you but yeah just another story to tell that's true yeah I got to uh, experience that and actually even going to London was as before the race it was all very locked down but after the race um like London they weren't in Mm -hmm. lockdown so it was actually you know I had a week or so of being afraid to go out and do things and what life wasn't normal but it felt a lot more normal than it was back here in Australia Mm -hmm. so that was yeah, an experience as well, like a little bit of a break from the being stuck at home. Yeah, um, and the Olympics did go ahead the following year, luckily, uh, where you ran the marathon and came 23rd in a really strong run. Um, how was your preparation for the Olympic marathon? And um, I guess, yeah, that, that challenging year where we still were really in lockdown here in Australia prior to that. Yeah, um, my prep went really well, actually, and to be honest, we were quite lucky. I spent a lot of time in Queensland. So from May, I was in Queensland almost the entire time because Victoria was still in lockdown. We decided to uh, leave just so that we could, um, I guess, well, the big part um, behind that decision was heat training because it was going to be so cold at home that time of year. So uh, Julian, my coach, Bree, his wife, um, myself, and then Joe sort of came and went when he could we we went to Noosa for seven weeks the idea was to do that leading into Gold Coast half and then I was going to Cairns with the team for the um holding camp and and yeah I mean training training went really well that whole block I I felt good I didn't have any niggles any injuries um we did a lot of heat work I did a lot of strength work as well pretty good mileage um I actually felt yeah fitter than I'd ever been leading into into Tokyo so it was always going to be again just the the heat it was going to be quite difficult to know how to pace it and how to race it it was going to um yeah be very different but yeah I think we I think I went into that as prepared as as I could have been and I was like yeah it was I was sort of itching to do more I think just being the Olympics I was really like I would just want to put everything into this Mm and um Jules was pretty good at uh you know keeping me uninjured and holding me back when I was, yeah, probably antsy to do more than I needed to be doing. But, um, yes, yeah, so I went into that fit and healthy and and very 
prepared for the heat. So that was that was a yeah different experience, but um, it was it was pretty fun. The race itself, and I mean, we were lucky too. Like I did feel sorry for you guys with the track being empty without spectators. The marathon, they told people not to go out, but um, I think in Japan people absolutely love the marathon mm-hmm. so they tried to keep people away but we still actually had a pretty good crowd out on, on course so that was yeah that was a really cool experience yeah I guess that's the um the pro of being in, in Sapporo maybe like we it was kind of challenging for you guys not feeling like you were in Tokyo like in the village with the team and, and with that whole kind of atmosphere but yeah I guess there were pros and cons to tea either side of it yeah exactly and the race itself was yeah um it was fun, like the yeah the the hotel that we were in in Sapporo, um, and how strict everything was there was, yeah, a different experience. But um, yeah, the race was good, and they, I mean, they did, they did such an amazing job, Japan, of actually putting it on in the circumstances, and and you know, they're actually, to be honest, not not many of us got COVID from within the village as well. Yeah, it was so amazing. It was pretty amazing, um, and I was just yeah pretty thankful to be able to go because I was just so worried they were going to cancel the whole thing and that would have been devastating it would have been yeah really sad if that had happened yeah I thought they did a great job and while there was you know a lot of um a lot of things missing that you know other Olympians who'd been to previous Olympics kind of talked about I thought it was still a pretty cool experience all around yeah and probably for people like us it makes you just really motivated to try and get to another one doesn't it like yeah it was really cool that we got to do that but I would love to experience what the whole what deal. It actually, yeah, because yeah. you can imagine with how cool some aspects of that was, a normal Olympics would just be next yeah. level. So, hopefully, we'll both get to do that one yeah. day. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, for the race itself, you said yeah, it was really hot, and that was the challenge. I think the night before you guys found out that the race was going to be moved up an hour earlier than it was supposed to be, so even that was kind of something to um, work with as a challenge in the last twenty four hours. Um, but probably a good call because it was, um, yeah, a little bit a little bit cooler maybe just by a fraction that hour earlier start. Um, yeah, I was I was happy with that decision. Like, yeah. um, I didn't find it to be too disconcerting at all. Oh, just good. that the day before, um, we you know we'd been out walking like over to the dining hall. I think around the time that we thought we'd be finishing the marathon, mm. um, so somewhere between nine and ten, and it was just. It was so stifling that when we heard it was being changed to six o'clock, I was actually really quite yeah. relieved because that day was looking to be, I think maybe the hottest day of. They were they were having this heat wave that week, and I think that day was going to be the worst. And they obviously freaked out the night before. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was definitely a positive result because at least early on it wasn't. I mean, it was still really hot, but yeah. I, I think um, with the carnage that happened in all of the races anyway that I think it would have been a lot worse if they mm. had it just an hour later so yeah that was yeah, good. good call and it's hard I think like as you said you were you were really fit and felt really prepared and um it's kind of hard to know like how that translates when you're running um like a challenging race like in the heat I mean 23rd kind of is the result that you kind of focus on because that's what you know everyone's working with the same um, conditions the time itself 233 it's kind of like, well, like, what does that really mean? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. You know that feeling when you really prepare something but you don't walk away with, like, a time that represents what you feel like, um, you know, your fitness was just because yeah. of the conditions? Yeah, 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 definitely. And, that, yeah, that was probably the one thing about it that was a little bit frustrating. And that I, after the Olympics I, I was I almost wanted to do another marathon again straight away just because I was like, oh, I feel like I – 
yeah, I really was quite fit and I'd, I'd love to do a cold, fast, flat one now just to yeah. see what I could run. But, um, yeah, that's it. it. I mean, it's a championship race and it, everybody's got the same uh, condition, so it's just yeah. trying to Get finish as high, yeah, place as highly as possible. And also, like, I was, I was very scared of DNFing. I think just with a race like that, you never know what can happen. So I had to, yeah. And it was also tricky to know. I, I did a session the week leading into the race in Sapporo um, at around the same time of day I think that the race was going to be just to try and get a gauge of pace and how because I'd spent so much time training in Queensland and I had a really good idea in my head of what pace I felt like I could hold for a marathon in those conditions Mm -hmm. but this was just a whole other level even compared to Cairns like the humidity in Tokyo yeah I realized it was probably 10 seconds a k slower um and that was that was actually good. Doing that session made me realise, oh no, I I actually have to be really careful here and go out much slower than I probably would have thought. Yeah, dealing with the reality that you've that you're faced with, and and just trying to actually work with the conditions. And I think like all the Australians, you know, three of you ran really really smart races and and were able to finish all in the top twenty six, and um, you know, work through the field versus you know being the ones um, you know not finishing or or being overtaken towards the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah all, was, all really prepared. Yeah. Um, and then after the Olympics, um, you had Tiggy, your first baby, um, born in, in June last year. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess, like, it's hard as female runners, like, you know, when is the right time to take a bit of a break and, and have kids if that's what you want to do? Um, had you been thinking about it for a while? It was just kind of the right time or? Yeah, I'd been thinking about it for a while and um, probably before the Olympics got postponed, that had sort of been our plan mm. to try and have a baby after after Tokyo. Um, yeah, I mean, Jose was, he was desperate to have kids for years, <laughs> so he was probably waiting for me because every yeah. year I was like, oh, good, just we'll see. do these races. And then it, was, then it was really just like, let's see what happens if there's a chance I'm going to make the Olympics. Maybe we just put it off until until after that so um yeah that was like every I knew that the following year there were com games and world champs that would have been awesome to try and be a part of but basically it was just um yeah like there's never going to be a perfect time Mm -hmm. we just have to do it and I'm getting older obviously so I just didn't want to I didn't want to wait too long and then um make it more difficult for myself or risk not being able to have have kids so yeah we just decided after that we'll see what happens and I was Still, I didn't want to, you know, go too all in on the baby thing. I wanted to still, you know, have some plans, marathon plans, um, so that if that wasn't happening, I still had, Mm. you know, something else to uh, almost take my mind off it, if that makes sense. Um, So I was actually going to do Melbourne Marathon later that year, but then in the the end, yeah, I fell pregnant. So had to put all the marathons on the back burner for a while. Yeah. A different yeah, kind of marathon. Lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we yeah. were really excited and really lucky that. Yeah. Like that, so, and it's it's so challenging. Like, yeah, you're going to have to miss something. Um, and I guess that's just um, you know, the choice that you make. And um, I think your perspective maybe changes a bit once you once you've had a baby and and you realise um, you know, how important it is being a parent and and what that kind of changes in your life. Yeah, and it's hard going into it too because you don't know, like even though we've got all these women that we get to watch who've had kids and come back and been amazing, mm-hmm. you still don't know what it's going to be like or if if you're going to be able to do that um, 
so it's you sort of go into it thinking like, oh, I don't know, is maybe my running's going to be over after this, or maybe I'll even have a baby and then decide I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. So it was kind of, um, yeah. Once I got back into it, like my, I was really surprised at how motivated I was and and how enjoyable training has been ever since. And yeah, you you can like you can definitely make it work. It's a pretty time efficient sport, really running compared to a lot of other things. So oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's been it's been good. I think about like tri- triathletes and you know cyclists and swimmers and like we can only really run like twelve hours a week. Um, yeah, exactly. Throw in some cross training or strength, and you know maybe it's fifteen hours a week. Like there's still a lot of time in the week. Um, obviously, you're pretty tired, and there's there's other factors that go into it. But yeah, you can get a lot done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and was your first race back the that five k in Geelong? No, so in November I did a ten k oh, okay. um, in Geelong, a road race. Yeah, so it was just run Geelong. Um, that oh, yeah, was that. yeah, that was my first one back. I think I ran thirty five twenty or so. Um, and how did that, that was, feel? Like, how did that feel to be like back running and like that's a really strong first one, but it's still like you know it's minutes off you know where where you normally are at. So it's that kind of like yeah, I guess just having to work with that different mindset. Yeah, it was it was really fun actually. I had no idea of where I was at because it had been the way that I'd been training, it was very hard to tell. I'd been doing lots of hilly fartleks and tempos and I think Jules had very deliberately not been giving me anything that I could compare to previous <laughs> uh, <laughs> training. Um, so very I didn't smart, know and I needed smart. to, yeah, it was smart. I needed to sort of put a race on the board to get a bit of an idea um, and even just like, there's nothing like the pain of a race is there like learning to cope with hurting like that again it's so different to training um and even logistically that's probably been the big thing I've noticed with races since having Tiggy it's a lot different the logistics of race day and trying to time things and uh you you know you can't you don't just get up in the morning and have to think about when to have brekkie and when you need to be at the race mm-hmm. and have your, your bag packed you also have to organize a very unpredictable human yeah. as well um so that was good to practice that with a few low-key races first so I did that in November I was absolutely cooked after that and I was sore for like five days or something like that oh, was wow. a real a really hard effort I thought I think I thought I was gonna throw up when I got to the finish line I'd really yeah um gone, gone for, for it. well <laughs> yeah and then the 5k I did that would have been almost two months later. Yeah. I thought about doing Zadapec, but I was like, I just, I think even Jules said to me, he's like, you're just not going to be satisfied. It's going to be a com- like a kick to your confidence rather mm-hmm. than a confidence booster. Like I would have been getting lapped by all you girls. Um, so then, yeah, I did the 5K in Jan, which, yeah, I'd actually made quite a bit of progress, I think, from the 10K to the 5K. Like I've never, I don't, I'm not a good 5K runner. Was and I that don't a 5K PB? I think it was... Technically a PB. I think I'd run I'd run faster in a time trial before and I'd run faster okay. in a 10K several times. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> it, like it was a certified 5K PB. Yeah. Um, so that was actually good because that was the week before World Cross Trials and yes. that gave me a bit of confidence like, well, I'm not that far off um, where I was before now. So, yeah, that was, that was actually really fun. And Jess came over from Adelaide and did that one as well. And we had boys in the race too, which was, mm-hmm. um, I think, helpful. A couple of guys I coach, I had to try and race them because yeah. they were all beating me. They yeah. all got fitter than me. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was Jan and then World Cross Trials a week later. Yeah, so you went into World Cross Trials and I remember listening to you on a podcast a few months prior and um, you mentioned that uh, you were going to do 
World Cross Trials is kind of like your first, it's one of your first races just to like kind of test the waters a bit, you know, just to like not to make the team but just to be in the race. I think you said something like that. And, uh, you know, as it went, you finished in sixth place place and um you got the last spot on the team so um yeah I think that was really the run of the day um but then what happened four or five weeks later coming 19th place in Bathurst and being the first Australian um was a pretty incredible run and certainly um in my opinion the, the run of the day across uh, across both the teams so yeah I guess tell us about that progression from like your mindset changing to like hang on I can make this team to then being like Wow, like I, I, I'm I'm leading this team. Oh, thanks, Izzy. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I think putting World Cross Trials on my radar was something that I needed again from a motivation perspective. Like something that I knew was going to be a hard race against you know the top girls um, mm-hmm. to make me really <laughs> focus and and train hard through that next couple of months over summer. Um, and then, yeah, it wasn't until just before it. And I think both Julian and Nick said to me, actually, you know, you've got a shot, like you've got a chance at scraping into this team. Like, you know, probably not, but you've got a chance. And Jules actually, as it got closer, he was like, I actually think you can make this team, um, you know, depending on what happens on the day. So that gave me a little bit of like, oh, mate, well, I'll have a crack and just see what mm-hmm. happens. Um, and, yeah, like just scraped in basically came sixth um again I was absolutely cooked after that race that was I think I really really rinsed myself that day to to try and get that sixth spot um I think I was coming eighth in the last lap so it was yeah basically just giving it everything just to see what happened and then uh, like my training I felt like the month after that I didn't really progress that much in training but I think what it was was I just got another another month of sort of similar mileage um I was sort of back running 130 140 k's a week and just ticking things off like nothing was amazing none of my sessions were that good I went to New Zealand for a wedding and when they were having all that rain so training was a little bit uh ad hoc (laughs) sort of trying to work out where to do sessions I had to change things around a bit because of the weather and I just wasn't I actually wasn't that confident going into World Cross. I felt like, oh, I don't know if I've really progressed at all or maybe I've even regressed. Um, but I think, yeah, like possibly just the nature of the course and the conditions being so unpredictable. Like I actually I think that um, played into my favour in that it was maybe more a, a tactical race rather than, um, yeah, being a show of who's the fittest Mm. um like as we saw some crazy stuff happened that day so yeah that was like I was really pleasantly surprised and even I feel like I've struggled a little bit with hills since coming back from Tiggy I feel like I'm a bit weaker Mm. and I'm not as good but like you said earlier a lot of my training is on pretty steep hills um hilly long runs even just yeah easy easy runs I'm still running a fair bit of hills so I think actually in the end that course played into my hands um, more than I thought it would and even just the heat I think having done Tokyo like you and I mm. we probably um, had a little more understanding of what it was going to be like to race in the heat and preparing mm. for it doing the pre-cooling stuff I think all of that helped so yeah I was I was stoked with that race and I mean for a lot of it I was we were running in a pack all together except Leanne was obviously up the up the bit further ahead 
Um, but even that was like quite comfortable being like, well, we all finished relatively close together in Canberra and where I think we're all running, you know, quite a sensible race here, working together, sort of gauging off each other, um, when, when to push, when to back off. And yeah, it was, it was a really fun experience. I think we had a really nice team of girls and yeah. And the crowd like was crazy. I've never, I it just, I didn't expect it. I don't think being a cross country race in Australia, I thought I was going to be probably pretty low key but the support that we had on course everybody like screaming at us seeing my family each lap was pretty special so I think um yeah that was a fun that was one of the most fun races I've ever done I think yeah it was a lot of fun I think yeah you're right like I didn't expect it to be like that crazy out on course and you certainly had a a good fan fan club there with the t-shirts too and and tiggy out there it was cool to see yeah Um, and yeah we did have a really good team I felt really yeah quite honoured to be a part of um, such a strong team there and um, yeah I really I do think the course like certainly played into um, someone's hands who's kind of been on heels and feels a bit more comfortable over them Um, I think a lot of people like myself (laughs) don't do a lot of heels like certainly it was a bit of a shock to the system and even since then just like the hamstrings and everything so so sore um, from that kind of like that change in just the course was so you know, it, it wasn't just hilly. It was like sharp uphill, sharp downhill, like really jarring. Um, and I think yeah. that, um, yeah, like like biding your time and 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 racing it really like in a smart way, like you did. Um, you know, you just came through the field and and to come top twenty is just such an amazing performance from an Australian. Like I know how proud everyone was to see you do that, and especially like eight months post baby, it's just incredible. Uh, thanks, Izzy. Yeah, I was like, it d- definitely was much better than I expected. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of people like th- thought that you might do well there though, because Nick said to me beforehand, he's like, Ellie's going to run well here, and I was like, yeah, she is. <laughs> so I think it's, people probably just know because they, especially they hear Jules talk on the podcast as well about our training, and yeah, like, they probably just know. Yeah, and I think you said that to me before it even, which I was like, oh, I don't know, I just don't know if it's enough for the for how steep those hills were but yeah yeah looking back at some of the long runs and stuff we'd done I think it definitely definitely helped and it's it's difficult for you too when you're in a marathon block like you know you can't be going and running hills with a gradient of 20 Mm. (laughs) percent every day when you're trying to do these long fast sessions so it's yeah I was lucky in that basically my training had been really conducive to that like almost accidentally Mm. for the whole that whole postpartum period because even the way that Jules had me training when I was first coming back was all, you know, no paces, nothing, just go and run a hilly tempo, Mm -hmm. go and run this fart like over hills, I don't care how fast you're running. So that was all rhythm-breaking stuff which was really perfect for that that course. Yeah, you can get a bit too set on like just hitting paces and, and, yeah, freaking out if you're not running like a certain pace. So, yeah, it sounds like your training um, progression was really like a, a nice way to get back into it and kind of almost like gain confidence in yourself without um yeah second guessing like pace or or time yeah um look you're a physio do you feel that like that that's helped you or hindered you in your running career in the sense that like you know when you get injured maybe you self-manage or do you do you outsource that to other people in your circle to kind of help you work through when you have challenges and injuries and niggles come up yeah, I think it can be both. I think uh, overall it's probably been helpful in that uh, sometimes I can recognise fairly early on when something's a little bit sore, ways that I can manage it or adjust things so that it doesn't turn into an injury. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's probably happened a lot of times where 
something minor, I've been able to sort of get onto it early. Um, there's also been sort of the other side of things where I've self-managed things where I probably needed to outsource. Um, at, like Joe's my husband's a physio as well. So, yeah, I, I'm lucky that I've got him as a sounding board for some things. But, yeah, there have been a few times like particularly that foot injury that I had. I haven't had a lot of nasty injuries, but that foot one, um, yeah, I was just like <laughs> basically – self-managing that and ignoring that until it got so bad yeah. that I couldn't run on it. Um, and then I've had a perineal tendon issue as well that sort of flares up every now and then. And, yeah, I have to make sure with that that I see like a specific tendon physio who's brilliant with that stuff um, when I've needed to. And just to because, you know, so often with things like that, I'm like, it's just an angry tendon. I can run through it. I just need to you know, modify the terrain or change up my footwear, whereas I needed to see her in the past for her to go, no, you actually need to, you know, cut your mileage back 30%. You need to do this this week, like a very specific uh, program, I guess, rather than me just playing it by ear. So, yeah, it's it's helpful, but also I think it's still important to outsource that to other people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think jaded yeah yeah well look like a lot of quite a few runners um you know at, at this high level are physios or health professionals and I think it's interesting to see that like yeah that self-management or, or how you kind of outsource and, and know when the time is to kind of get some someone else to kind of uh, tell you what to do but like, I guess you know you also coach so um you know you have an understanding of like how important it is to have someone else you know helping you through your training and and listening to your body and You've got an interesting relationship with your coach, Julian Spence. I believe he coaches you, you kind of coach him, um, and you guys have your coaching business run strong together. Yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't actually coach him. Um, oh, really? I have, I have coached him for very <laughs> brief periods in the past. He doesn't – Jules doesn't have a coach. He's, he's uncoachable. Uh, he's uncoachable, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it is it is a – like a an interesting you bounce ideas off each other at least. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And he's pretty good with, like um, – I think now we've known each other for so long that he's always happy to hear to get feedback from me on my training and adjust things and stuff as we go. Um, but yeah, it's. I think. I think. For me, I would never be able to coach myself. Like I actually definitely need somebody else uh, mm-hmm. doing it for me. I think um, similar. I guess with the physio stuff, it's it's nice to have it. It's also nice not to think about it too much and just have it, you know, written down um, there on paper and to just go ahead and do it without yeah overthinking things so yeah that's been nice and Jules like Jules and I have been really good friends for years now like um so you know we have we're very open with each other and um yeah I think I think that's that works really well he knows me very well Mm -hmm. knows when he needs to pull me back knows when he needs to push me um and yeah and I also like feel like I can always be very honest with him about everything so yeah we've been lucky it's I think it's worked quite well yeah, definitely. Despite our bickering, like brother and sister. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's so good fun. And are you like looking to? Are you working in physio at all at the moment, or looking to get back into that, or just more focusing on your running and, and I guess the coaching as well? Yeah, I'm going to wait and see. So I um I stopped doing physio maybe a month or so before I had Tiggy, and I was always a little bit unsure what I was going to do afterwards. I think um. Well, first of all, we have to, there's a big demand for daycare down here mm-hmm. anyway. So we're on a waiting list, which probably will take a long time to 
uh, get to the top of anyway. Um, so I'm going to see how running's going and just, yeah, see how it works. I think I'm lucky with the coaching stuff that I can just do that, um, you know, around my training and when Tiggy's asleep or when Joe's is home, that's actually been really helpful. So mm. ideally I would like to just keep doing that and running, but I might um, need to add some physio back in at some stage too probably part-time so um yeah I haven't made that decision yet I think I'll just wait and see and see how it goes yeah, yeah. but I'm enjoying um being on maternity yeah. leave to be honest it's, that's good yeah it's nice yeah yeah and I, I guess you know you're still having to juggle I know you um you know a lot of your doubles you end up doing on the treadmill while Tiggy sleeps has an afternoon nap or you know it's certainly um it, it's still challenging to fit everything in um a, a, around that schedule too yeah, ch- childcare is definitely the big thing. Like, um, I mean, as a runner, like I don't need, I don't need childcare all day, every day, but I basically just need a bit of time in the morning and a bit of time in the afternoons. And it's been, while she's so little, it's actually been really good. Cause like you said, I can do my doubles on the treadmill while she's having her afternoon sleep, which is working at the moment, but that afternoon sleep's going to go soon. So it's, yeah, we're just going to have to, like, I think that's probably what you have to do as a parent, just be a bit more flexible and adaptable and adjust things as you go. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we, I'll have to work things out um, once that happens, how I'm going to fit all them in. It might be late at night once Joyce is home and she's in bed. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm usually in bed by 9 o'clock <laughs> these days, so that um, might uh, have to change. Yeah. So how do you think your perspective has changed since your first marathon to now? Um, London will be your eighth if I've counted correctly. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I didn't realise I'd done that many. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I think I, I guess I've just sort of learnt that with the marathon, like a big part of it is you kind of get out what you put in. Like it's, I think there are a lot of maybe shorter events where talent comes into it a lot. Um, obviously training's still extremely important, but I feel like with the marathon, so much of it is about, yeah, how much work you put in. Um, and even just the years of training, like banking them on top of each other, consistency. I've learned they're really, yeah, the most important things in, in running a good marathon. Um, and yeah, I don't, I mean, I think like I just enjoy it as much as I did the first one I probably like every year my goals I guess get a little bit a little bit bigger um I, I want to yeah I'd love to sort of take a few risks over the next few years in the marathon and see see what I'm capable of because I don't you never know how long you have left so yeah I think I've a lot of them I've raced fairly sensibly um but yeah I'm I would like to um, obviously you've got to take calculated risks and work out when the time to do it is but yeah, I would really like to test myself and even see what I can do in in training as well. Like, see how much I can handle, um, how much I can fit in, how much my body can take, and you know what's going to equate to running faster. So I'm excited to like experiment with things. I guess over the next few years. Yeah. Whereas definitely. the first few years were probably more just yeah learning learning about the race and gradually building mileage and things like that. Yeah, I think that you have to really respect the marathon, and that's what I've kind of learned in my first two is that like. Sure, I can have big goals down the track, and um, but you know, there's no point even thinking about that until you just kind of like learn the ropes and and yeah, get get a few on the board. And everyone's at a different stage in their career where you know you, you might be willing to you know take more of a risk in one or the other. And yeah, it's exciting to see. You know, obviously the the times we're looking at are just so much faster these days than 
even you know two, three, four years ago, um, talking about you know qualifying and and making teams and and, and what is possible and you know records going down. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty exciting to be a part of. And it's crazy, like um, and like for you as well. Your first two have already been so fast, but when you look at like even say Sinead and Lisa, who've just both run huge PBs, like they have done. I don't know how many marathons they've done, but they've both done well over 10 marathons each. So it's, you're right, it's being patient and learning it and realising that, yeah, your your best marathon is probably not going to be in your first few. It's going to be, you know, in your eighth or ninth or tenth, maybe. Um, And, yeah, I mean, that's like that's exciting in a lot of ways too. I remember Jules a couple of years ago, he looked through all the, I think it was the top ten, Australian women at the time and when they'd run their fastest one and I think the average was like the eighth or ninth as well so well um, London's your eighth yeah oh yeah (laughs) I don't know I don't know if London's gonna be maybe not yeah um yeah it's cool it's yeah like there's just so much to it which is I think what's fun about it there's so many variables so many things can go wrong you have to get so many things right both in the block and the race but um that's what makes it so so fun and so like mysterious almost Mm-hmm. And you've you've raced through the old shoes into the new shoes, so you've kind of had that progression too. Um, h- how have you felt that kind of changed the the race itself and the recovery afterwards? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I think my first marathon I ran in uh, like trainers. So oh. I've come Ouch. from. Uh, well, no, that was actually not too bad. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I've had. recovery wise I actually don't think the shoes for me have made a huge difference like it's very it seems to be a bit dependent on other things like Tokyo was actually the best I've ever pulled up from a marathon I think surprisingly with the heat but I think just running shows how fit you are too yeah yeah I think so and just the slower the slower pace maybe helped um yeah I'm trying to think which was the worst I think they got I think Berlin actually was really bad my second Mm, one um yeah so I think recovery wise it, I still take a little bit of time I know some people now can back up and run three or four marathons a year um I don't know that I'll ever be one of those people that can do that but yeah I mean it's the shoes of obviously they're making everybody run faster so yeah that's that's fun and I think you can probably maybe we can handle a little more in training as well mm. just because you if you're not quite as beat up from those big long workouts you might not need quite as many days in between but I do think we have to be a bit careful with that and not just going oh because of these shoes I can do you know this much more mileage or I can I only need one easy day day between between these two workouts or I can do another marathon in three months Mm. because I I don't necessarily think um yeah they're gonna I don't think that they're that amazing Mm. I think you still have to respect the discipline and the training and what it takes out of you mentally and all of your systems as well not just your musculoskeletal system yeah yeah, I I am. Um, I pulled an ab, like I've strained an ab muscle. Oh, really? <laughs> the, the most yeah. random thing, like. But Did it you just shows during the race. Um, like I had a little bit of discomfort, like anyone does at a marathon. Um, you know, in that kind of gut region, you don't really know what that is. I thought it might be the anti-inflammatories, but um, yeah, it just shows though that like you know your whole body is under stress, like so you know the shoes you wear. While that's a big factor, like they're not going to save you, um, like you know you still can hurt yourself in different different areas too and often too like the shoes can offload you to um taking more force through your hips or your calves or depending on you yeah. know, which, which shoes you're wearing 
Exactly. And you're going to get inflammation everywhere, like in your gut, you know, your kidneys have been through a lot. So it's really, yeah, my, um, after Nagoya, so I only ran a half marathon and my biceps were sore. (laughs) Did I tell you that the next day? My biceps were sore. I think I must have been like tense or maybe just like running that hard for that long. Um, yeah, I had for a couple of days, like every time I strained my arm, my biceps were really sore. So that's interesting. It affects, uh, affects everything. Um, do you find that your nutrition has changed over time? Like, um, like each marathon you've learned something and kind of changed it or like adapted it, or it's been pretty like, um, pretty set for a while. Yeah, my, my nutrition's changed a lot. So at the start, I basically didn't know anything about it, and I thought I did. So I just used to. I don't think I was eating enough um, during training, mm-hmm. and then in the races, I always had a lot of gels. But at the start, I used to have like five or six Endura gels all with caffeine in the race. Yeah. And so I used to um, like throw up at the end of every marathon. Unsurprisingly. (laughs) And I think it was like, yeah, my, but I never had really any issues other than that. I always felt fine during the race, but I would have been absolutely overloaded on caffeine and um, they obviously made me sick. They didn't sit well. So I, um, yeah, each marathon I sort of like would trial different, different gels or different like I always was able to take on nutrition during the race but I had to sort of play around with that until I got mm-hmm. it right um at the last probably two or three marathons I've, I just do Morton gels I used to do the drink mix as well but I've sort of gone off that um and yeah I've been working with Jess Rothwell for a couple of years now on fueling um yeah through the whole block and just even day to day outside of a marathon block and I think I've learned a lot about actually how much is required Mm -hmm. and even yeah like I I probably particularly when I was working a lot um, more it was it's always tricky to do a big session in the morning and then refuel through the day when you're then at work all day yeah you have a quick break you can't just be eating every hour like you can when you're at home so I had to sort of learn how to prioritize that and then again it's been different again with um, since having Tiggy like my current nutrition plan is like it's basically it's like a carbo load every single day is my requirement for breastfeeding as well as marathon training. So that's been eye-opening too just to see how much more I need and it's mm-hmm. um, it's been quite difficult to maintain my weight. So, yeah, just trying to um, manage that. So I think, it, it yeah, it's been good actually to, to put a lot of effort into nutrition over the mm-hmm. last few years and, and I feel like like I'm learning now to the point where, yeah, yeah, I can probably. Um, I'm. I think I'm doing, yeah, doing it right now. But I think for a long time I wasn't, and it just, yeah, I've been sort of fine tuning it gradually. Such a huge factor for the marathon, especially like yeah, breastfeeding. Like I remember, um, in Bathurst, you saying before, um, World Cross being like, oh yeah, I just like had to go give Tiggy a feed, and like, it's incredible. Um, you know what the body can do. Like you, you breastfeeding, you're racing it. The, you know highest level possible um I think that um yeah it's something to be said for like learning what the requirements are to really like have enough fuel to do all of that um at the same time yeah it's it's actually been fascinating that your body can whilst you're out running like say on a Sunday out running 38 k's or whatever and your body's still also at the same time making milk and <laughs> it's it is pretty crazy but it yeah it does um take a, a bit more out of you from a fueling perspective and even and hydration as well is really tricky you have to drink a yeah. little bit normal yeah, um, but yeah it's good 
it's and it's good it's good practice so i should be able to handle a carbo load pretty well after this yeah yeah, yeah i think you will um we touched on your coach julian spence but are there any other big like influences in your career that have um you know been really important i guess in in getting you to where you are today yeah i think so i mean like a i think a big part of taking running more seriously was finding um a good group of people to train with and people whose company i enjoyed and um so all of the the crew down here like in sf coast track club group um they're all they've all been a big a big part of it for me and they make training fun and i like when i was off having tiggy i just missed sunday long runs so much just that chat and company and yeah they're like a really really fun group of people so I think they've all been a big part of it. Um, Nick Bedeau has been really like he's given me some opportunities, I think, just to be competing at the level that I needed to, to sort of take my running um, to that next level. So, yeah, he, he's been a, a big part of of creating those opportunities for me and being really encouraging in, um, yeah, sort of telling me what he thinks I can do in, in running over the years. So, yeah, it's like Joris has been pretty amazing. I mean, especially now with Tiggy, he basically every morning looks after her while I go and, and get my training in before he goes to work. And he's always been very supportive. Like our, our life probably very much revolves around my training. And, you know, we're, we're even just discussing this morning, like things like going camping and stuff, which we used to do a lot of. We sort of can't do it as much anymore just because I need sleep and I need to be places where I can run and so it really does affect his life too um and then yeah my family as well so my mum um has been really good since having Tiggy she looks after her on Tuesdays so I can do a session in the morning and like I know that any of them would if I ever said oh hey I need help with this or I need some more support with this they'd all jump in and and help to try and allow me to keep doing it so yeah I'm pretty lucky there. Yeah, it certainly takes a team to, you know, to be at the level that we're trying to run at and having a baby too certainly um adds a little more a little more work in there. So yeah, so good that you've got um such a good support network. And I think having a, a fun training environment, like you said, is is so important too. Like I definitely feel like I've got that here in Adelaide too. And um I think that's yeah, so important for longevity in the sport and, and just really enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. Like if you hate it, you're never gonna do it. No, you, absolutely. So. Surrounding yourself with good people. Yeah, so we're coming into London Marathon less than a month away. Final touches on training. Um, maybe looking towards World Champs later this year in Budapest um, on the calendar or some other marathons. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll have to see how London goes first, obviously. So um, World Champs uh, 2.28 is the time, so you know. Yeah. You, just yeah. <laughs> uh, you ran under it um, yeah. a couple Only of weeks just. ago. So, yeah, no, that's all right. doesn't matter. Um so, yeah, like I haven't worked out what I'm going to do yet second half of the year, but if I happened to run that time, then um, Budapest might be an option. Obviously, it'll depend on, like, I don't know who wants to do it. Um, yeah, it sounds like there's just different opinions on, as we said, different stages of people's career, different things are, are, are more important, you know, fast time, <laughs> a, a world champs. Yeah, just kind of depends on the person. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, also with um, Paris being next year as well, like I would love to have a crack at the Olympic qualifying time at some point as well. So that's sort of where, yeah, I guess Budapest is a bit tricky because if you do that, then it means you probably can't do another marathon for a while afterwards. So I think I'll, I'll wait and see how London goes first. 
see where I'm at and then, yeah, plan for the second half of the year. So if I happened to run the qualifier for Budapest, then that, yeah, might certainly be something that I look at um, nominating for. If not, then I'll try and find a fast, cold marathon somewhere mm-hmm. second half of the year, nice and flat, and see see what I can do. But even, yeah, then there's also like, you know, some races early the following year. So hopefully, you know, there's a little bit of time to go still. But as we both know, there's about what like six or six of us maybe going for that. Yeah, um, Olympic team in Paris. So it'll be like such a such a difficult team to make. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely to... yeah. It's clear that the um, 2024 Olympic team is going to be yeah tough to make in the marathon. But um, yeah. it's so so exciting that um, the times people are running and. I think that the the depth there will just only push us to to all be better and um yeah. and pro- probably mean that we might get six under that time, but um we're gonna be sending a really strong team, um, whoever they are. And yeah, I'm excited to see what, yeah. what everyone can do. And there's certainly lots of opportunities to run marathons in the next year. So yeah, I hope for both of us we both get yeah, a, a good crack at a fast time and some yeah. other cool experiences. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think I think it will push everybody to run faster. And I think like it's it's nice because everybody. I think we all are aware of um, how fast we're going to have to run to make that team. And even it's exciting to be a part of it. It's exciting to watch you guys um, see what you can all do as well. And yeah, be good. I feel like and I'm not sure if um, you know you feel the same way, but the marathon there is that genuine kind of like uh, respect for one another, and it kind of comes from that sense that at the end of the day, like no one's um, thinking about, oh, I'm going to outkick her on the last 200 or, you know, this is my tactic or my move. Like we all have to face that 42.2Ks and all the challenges that come with it. It's not really about like you versus me or um, anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Do you you find that mentality? Yeah, definitely. I think you know how much goes into it um, and you know how much can go right and how much can go wrong on the day and it is, yeah, but... I think you're right. There's like a sort of mutual respect or something there. And, you know, as much as we know we're all competing against each other, it's still like really exciting seeing everybody do well um, and just the level, yeah, being lifted, which, I mean, Sinead and Lisa have ruined it a little bit for us. A little bit, yeah. So fast. Like if (laughs) you didn't quite that fast, it would have been good. (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, it's it's pretty, pretty amazing what's been happening the last few years. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ellie. I'm so excited for you to be racing in London. I'm a little bit sad I won't be there with you. I was like, Nick, you need a pacer. <laughs> but no, didn't get the call up. So yeah, uh, I'll be just I'll ask be... for a last minute. Surely one yeah. of the pacers will get injured or something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll be watching and uh, cheering along and yeah, really rooting for you and hoping it's um, an enjoyable experience. And yeah, hopefully get to line up at a few other road races later this year together. Yeah, thanks, Izzy. Yeah, all the best for the final fun. preparations for London, and um, yeah, we'll chat soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Got one more forty k run, and then I'm dropping oh, it down. So I can't you've got wait. this. You've got this. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ellie. Now, if you've gotten through this whole episode without buying a bottle of Glossily Sports New Dry Shampoo Ready Sweat Glow, do your hair a favor and grab a bottle now. Refreshing your hair in seconds, so you can skip the wash, not the workout. Check it out at glossilysport.com.au and use the code KUDOS20 for 20% off.